no, my persona, I take off the hat, nothing would happen. I unzip my zipper, birds everywhere. All right, everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Fat Games Podcast. I'm your host, Blair. Um, unfortunately, this week, Gary is a little under the weather. He couldn't make it. Now I'm going to introduce our guest this week, the wonderful, the awesome, and my personal friend, Red Vonix. Say hi, Red. Howdy. Hi, everyone. Great. So how you doing? Good. I mean, That's... life's been a whirlwind the past year, just like it has been for pretty much everyone, I think. Uh, but it's, I, yeah, I, I gotta say, I can't complain. That that's great, actually, because yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to complain about in this last there's year. There's quite a lot. There's quite a lot. Uh, just kind of why I feel very uh, fortunate in a lot of ways. Well, that's awesome to hear. We could probably get into a little bit uh, on that as we get into the podcast here. All right, my friend. So, why do you call yourself Red? Oh Lord, let's go back. Going back, back about in time, ten years ago. In the way back machine. <laughs> Step right on in. So. You know, my real name, Dave Calabrese, uh, I went by that for about half my career, maybe a little less than half, roughly. And I could never make a name for myself, you know, and I think part of that was I wasn't really going out on my own and doing stuff on my own. I was working with a lot of other companies and things. Um, but when I started my first company, my second company, I couldn't make a name. So I started trying to figure out why. And I realized that in working with different companies, they'd be like, oh, you're this great artist, or oh, you're this great voice actor. And I'm like, I, I mean, I'm not horrible at art, and I can voice act when I need to, but what? So I started doing some more research, and I found that the name Dave Calabrese is already used in entertainment roughly 10 plus times. <laughs> I mean, th there's actually a, a, I think it's a goth metal band with the name Calabrese and everything. So I couldn't make a name because my name is already heavily used. <laughs> so I spent probably about, I'm not joking, two years researching potential names. I got an Evernote document with 200 plus possible brand names on it. And, you know, it had to be something that was easy to remember, uh, something that was like me and also something that was not already branded, didn't already have tons of, you know, Twitter accounts or anything. And after all that, I finally came up with Red Vonix. Oh, it's actually, actually Vonix was suggested by my dad because <laughs> my dad also works in games and does stuff here. Oh, really? So yeah. So I kind of slapped Red to that and did some research. I'm like, oh my God, this is available and it's memorable. So I checked with a bunch of people, you know, kind of testing off them. They all liked it. So I trademarked the name Red Vonix. And uh, it was kind of funny because my first time in Japan back in, I think it was 2016, I actually got the message of acceptance. I'm like, I'm in Japan and I just got my trademark approved all at the same time. This is best day ever. Uh, so, and since then, you know, I go as Red. And I don't really hide my name in the industry. I mean, I just said it like what, five times during this podcast alone, uh, but uh, nobody calls me. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny because the people that I knew that I've known the longest still call me Dave, but the people that I've known more recently all call me Red, even if they know me as Dave. Like when I was in China and I basically lived with like five people for a month and a half, they still called me Red. <laughs> hmm. So because yeah. when I first met you, I thought like you introduced yourself as Red Vonix. And I mm -hmm. think it was probably like maybe that same weekend because we were GamerX was at four. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I think at some point that weekend I asked you what your real name was because <laughs> I actually kind of felt weird calling you an alias. <laughs> but hey, if it's help, that is awesome. I, that's a that's a really interesting story. I don't think you actually told me that before. Yeah, and it actually has helped because I found that I the, the naming since I've made that trademark, it actually has worked because I'll go place and people be like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard of you, I know you. And they actually haven't heard bad things either, which is always- Oh, that's a, great. Nice, always <laughs> a benefit. Uh, but but yeah, so it's it's worked. The, the brand has worked, it's gotten out there. And I mean, I, I don't have like tons of Twitter followers. I'm only at like 2176 or something like that. Uh, but even with, with that, my name still seems to be getting known in the industry, so. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so on that note, what brought you into this crazy industry? Because as we know, indie games is, um, <laughs> well, I've been talking with some friends, uh, some people at Gumbo and listeners of the podcast know what Gumbo is. We talked about it before. And um, we, we've, as much as we love doing this, it, it some, sometimes feels like indie games is very much a labor of love. So what pulled you into this universe? Uh, so... so... <laughs> Going back again in the Wayback Machine, a little bit further this time, when I was a kid, which, you know, I'm an old, old man. By the way, can I swear here? Oh, feel free. Nice. Fuck yeah, because I'm an old fucking man. And because uh, I was, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And my dad used to make video games back in the 70s and 80s. And he kind of got off it, but he's, he's actually getting back into it. He, he actually owns part of my company um, and, and does some stuff, so does some work here with me. But anyway... Uh, I kind of got interested in video games from, you know, seeing him make them as I was growing up. And even as a kid, I always wanted to work in entertainment. I actually originally wanted to be a stage magician, not mu yeah, magician. That's a new thing. Stage magician. Uh, like David Copperfield was my absolute idol at the time. You know, um, I can picture that. You being in like <laughs> a, a magician's getup, wearing a top hat or something, like taking it off, having a bird fly out or something. Absolutely. Though, no, my persona, I take off the hat, nothing would happen. I unzip my zipper birds everywhere so <laughs> anyway um we'll follow so, up on that <laughs> please do uh okay so and then i wanted to do uh film acting it's actually something i'd still love to do sometime is some film acting or something uh but um i was more introverted as a kid i think and you know i was not exactly liked in school and I didn't have the uh, cojones to fight back back then. Um, now I'll stab a fucker if they want to mess with me. But back then, no, I, I literally let people spit on me like for hours at a time, literally during school and stuff. Do it to me now. I'm, I'm going to collect your eyeballs and take them I, home with me. <laughs> I, I can relate to being bullied in school. Not pleasant. I've it's actually talked about it on the podcast before. <sighs> Yeah, um, th that's a whole other difficult topic I'd get into another time. But all of this put together, you know, I, I didn't really have the, the desire to go and try out for a lot of things, even though I took some acting classes and stuff. So instead, I started, you know, playing the Atari and the NES. And I was like, this is amazing. How the fuck do these exist? Do people just like reach up and pluck a game off a tree? Uh, or, or is there more to it? And you know, so my dad made them. I, I kind of already had an idea of what what goes into making these, and uh, which also means I respected the prices. Like you know, back in the day, you know, Final Fantasy two was a Final Fantasy three American was like 65, 75 bucks when it came out. And uh, unpopular opinion, I think that's what they should still cost because that's what it 
takes to make these damn games require prices like that. But no, now we have like 99 cent games for something that still costs even more than that. But other topic for another time. Uh, so I would love to get into that. I will see if we have time because I think we agree. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, just kind of from that and getting into it, and you know, even in my teens, like I think I was 15 or 16 when I started trying to actually make games. Uh, but it wasn't until like the early 2000s, I really wrapped my head around programming and kind of picked up pretty quick. And, you know, I was working for T-Mobile at the time and I got a unpaid internship working uh, online for a company called 26 Productions here in Colorado. And I was still living with my family back in Pittsburgh at the time. And uh, after you know, maybe a year, two years of this or so, uh the 26 production is like hey the house across the street from us is open what if we all rent it and you and the other guy move out here we start paying you a salary and i'm like just tell me when tell me when my move-in date is when we're doing this so i did and i moved to colorado for that and i just kind of stayed here and you know work there for a bit until they had to do layoffs and i went and started my first company called gaslight studios and i ran that straight into the ground so hard they're still greater uh <laughs> And I started Cerulean Games, which is, of course, still around. That's my contract house. And then I started Drunk Robot Games in 2015, 2016. Uh, actually, as a DBA of Cerulean Games for all kinds of fun legal reasons. Um, but that's pro tip for anybody who wants to have different companies for different purposes, because Cerulean Games is my contract house and Drunk Robot is my for doing my original titles. Um, and yeah, just kind of got into it from doing that. And I think the first games... Because it was a 21.6, and we I worked on something they made called Orbs um, and Tube Twist, which I became like lead the, the lead on for a while, which is pretty cool. And they gave me one of a bunch of awards. Uh, and worked on some other stuff with them, including some stuff that I'm not sure if the NDAs have actually expired yet, but there's some branded stuff we worked on that uh, got canceled because that's how big projects do. Um, <laughs> And um, yeah, and I, I could ramble about that for a bit, but that's kind of the the, the too long did read version of me getting started. <laughs> well, that's great because it's actually a great great segue into the next question because I wanted to ask you what what some of your past projects have been because you've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> I have, and it's been it's been fun. I mean, obviously there's Orbs, which there's an arcade version and a PC version. I've worked on Orbs three. Uh, which was a lot of fun. It was kind of silly because we weren't allowed to talk about it all while we were producing it. And I was managing the community and all the community kept saying is, are we ever going to get a new orbs? And I, I kept telling, I, I had to tell them, no, we're not. While in another window working on orbs three. <laughs> you were strictly on an NDA or was that? Uh, well, actually the, the boss of the company said, if we talk about it, we get fired. Basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. Which is sad because people wanted it so bad. And because we weren't allowed to talk about it, when it actually came down to it, the sort of publishing company it wasn't really a publishing company is a big thing there but i won't get into it um they end up going focusing on another game instead because the other game was talking about it so orbs 3 kind of got canned in a lot of ways uh, that's um, too bad yeah uh but of course there's two twists like i mentioned and that's up on wikipedia you can look at that i've i'm just trying to think what, what's like my greatest hits like i worked on uh, one of my original titles is Santa Special Delivery, which is this kind of silly game about Santa shitting down the chimneys of bad kids. And that comes up every holiday season. Uh, I, I'd actually love to get I it. I remember like, when you made that game. We had just <laughs> met like not long before that. I didn't realize yes. he was shitting down chimneys, though. 
yes because those I, kids deserved it they're really yeah, bad I, i'm gonna be honest i actually never played it so now i feel terrible i'm gonna have to go back and get that game now <laughs> well i'd really love to get into like humble bundle or something this year or see if i can spin up a quick remaster of it um or something I've, I've been because the game actually people loved it and if you look it up on youtube there's always all these posts about it uh very positive ones so it's something i need to think about again at some point so there's probably there's, there's gonna be more santa more bad santa at some point but not the film more of the <laughs> shitting down the chimneys for vengeance style so you're making a sequel then at some point i want to yeah this is not a sequel announcement this is a intention of <laughs> a desire to yes so okay so let's see so i, I worked on a couple of porn games which i know you you already said i have yeah that was one of the questions so, I wanted. so we'll, let's we'll get, get to that those. now why not well, tell well, us about okay tell us about that so there's a company called d-dub and they so back in the day there was i promise this is all related <laughs> uh there was a game engine company there's a game company called garage games and uh, they made a game engine called Torque Engine, Torque 3D, which is what we did, like everything. And Torque basically used to be the Unity back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I've heard of Torque. Yeah, yeah, before Unity took over. And I got to be like good with Torque. Like, like I'll, I'll stroke my own ego there that I was fucking good with Torque. <laughs> um, and you know, I, did, I even did stuff with Garage Games. I helped with their internal engine documentation, other things. And um, I did a lot of, I did, I did a lot in their uh, forums. And, that's actually one of the things that I've mentioned to Unity numerous times is I feel they are not as approachable and don't have the same acceptance or, or acceptability. That's not the right word, but the community is not strong with Unity while with Garage Games, they had a very, very good community. And I was strongly part of that. And I'd always post and help out other engineers with questions and things like that. I work on tools and share them with people. So there's all that. And now, D-Dub made this game Bone Town, which was, uh, if you were to sort of take um, Grand Theft Auto, give it more of a tune style and make it about fucking, uh, you'd in many ways get um, Bone Town. And I could see how that game could lend <laughs> itself. Yeah, yes. yeah. And for those who know Bone Town are sitting there going, oh my God, Red accepts that game. Okay, I would totally admit there's a few... Um, not woke parts about that game <laughs> um and you know we all evolve and we change and <laughs> i i was not a designer on that game by any means i i came in long after the game was done we'll get to that in a second so, so you have to worry about it because um we, we when we first started the podcast we talked about the original version of kids of karen now and believe me there was stuff in that game <laughs> that certainly not woke now but when we made that game also was not acceptable by <laughs> by societal standards Gotcha. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. So, um, so, but with Bone Town, so yeah, so I was, you know, I've always been very sexually accepting of things. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an open, I'm very publicly in open relationship. Uh, I, I label as a swinger slash non-monogamous slash poly, whatever. On no. another podcast, I would love to talk more about that, but not yeah. one that's related to video games, I don't think. <laughs> no, and, and, I would, and, I wasn't, and I'm not going to bring it up more than that. But the reason I bring that up is just to say that, you know, I've always been very accepting and open to these kinds of things. So I'm like, well, here's this Bone Town game, and it was done in Torque 3D. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And 
from being very accepting of this kind of stuff. I'm like, I would love to get the chance to work on that. Oh, but oh, the game is done though. So, well, well I'll, I'll just have to watch things like that in the future for opportunities. And then at some point I suddenly see up on the uh, Torque forums that they're looking for a Torque engineer to help them with some stuff. So I see this at like three in the morning one night when I'm just up late doing various work things and some project and I reach out to them and almost immediately they recognize me for all of my posts and all the stuff I've done on the forums and respond oh. to me and say, uh, fuck, yes, we want to work with you. Um, you're in. Now let us tell you what we need you to do. <laughs> and wow. they hired me basically on the spot for, you know, money to do a controller integration to the game. because at the time, it, didn't, it was only like keyboard and mouse. So you got to work on a porn on hometown. And they even flew me out there. So I got to meet with the developers and everything and hang out with them and a little 420 with them and everything. So, so and what, what are the people like that, uh, that uh, they're into making porn games? Very honest, very professional, uh, very laid back. Um, not what they show on, and I'm going to say, I'm sure this isn't everyone obviously but what they show on like tv and stuff that's it, not it at all because they always show like these slimy <laughs> greasy people who like never shower and just pay for sex left and right it's like yeah it's like i was gonna say so uh, no one there was like so you want to be yeah. a star do you <laughs> i mean if it says anything i was the only one in, even in an open relationship out of all of them and most of them were married <laughs> so there's that. I mean, they've, they work with porn stars. They worked with Ron Jeremy. The, the one individual was talking about, you know, actually flying out to set to, to talk with porn stars and doing business with them directly of, of all genders. And, but yeah, they are very professional and very cool people. I, I didn't have any issues with them. So is there um, still a lot going on in the porn game space? Yes. So much more than there was before. Um, uh, and I'm actually in some discords for for all of that because I've but... never like the last time I played anything re remotely pornographic in a video game was back in like I want to say the early 2000s, maybe late 90s when emulators are started becoming a thing, and people did ROM hacks of Atari games and turned them <laughs> into sex games. That was like I think yeah. the only time I've ever played <laughs> anything pornographic, and it's the Atari. There was two colors. There were boxes. So porn games have definitely changed a lot. And in some ways, I almost want to say Bone Town might have been partially responsible for some of that. Because back in the day, yeah, a lot of the porn games were that, exactly what you're saying. But they're also, um, how do you say, boring as shit. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the whole mini game mechanic of just fucking, and I mean in any way, with any body part, with any gender or combination of genders, it's boring. It's fun in person. But when you put it into a video game, no matter what you do, it's so boring. Yeah, I can and see that. It was kind of funny because Bone Town Devs, even they admitted, they're like, yeah, nobody's going to play the uh, sex portions of this game and jerk off to it. It, it. It's not that exciting. But so what I'm trying to get is that the ones today are really fucking good. Like, there's a there's one that's there's a number of metroidvania ones and so there's a lot of common mechanics there where you're you basically um have to find certain you, you almost have to solve like sex battle puzzles to collect characters that you can then use in battles and stuff almost like a, a pokemon thing there's um is this really a, 
about the porn then or is it just the characters that are like naked maybe not so much about the porn it's it's kind of because this is actually something that, that i had tuned in on like 10 years ago back when we were working on bone town stuff uh that what the games that are really going to work as porn games are games that are not sex games but games that happen to include sex as, as part of them um, or happen to include sex as part of the mechanics, but mm. aren't sex games themselves. Not, they're, and, they're not focused on that as a core mechanic. Right, they're actually right. are real and, games. Yeah, and from what I've seen over the years, uh, that's exactly what has taken off. Now, sadly, financially, it's not there as much. And a lot of that was that's my next question. Yeah, and a lot of that's because... Um, there's a lot of political issues where people seem to think that, you know, sex is bad, okay? So it's hard to get funding for a lot of these. A lot of, there's, I know a lot of banks won't even work with you if you do anything in porn. So oh, you, have wow. to, you have to, even if you're an entirely legit business, if you do anything with porn, you almost have to do sneaky things just to be as legal as possible and not just like store piles of money in houses. Which is exactly what happened with the marijuana industry because I'm in Colorado. So, you know, we're the highest city in the nation for multiple reasons. And when weed became legal here, the dispensaries were making so much money. Um, Because for for those who don't know, Colorado, I believe, was the first in uh, the United States. Yeah, to, to get. Um, the ability to legally sell marijuana recreationally. And part of that was that it was taxed and those taxes then went into the educational system, which has done all of these, these great boosts to it. Um, but I don't know the details of what's been boosted, so I'm not going to get into that because I'd just be pulling shit on my ass, but we can research it and find out. But that was the point of it. So, and, you know, people are like, yeah, marijuana, why not? And so they were making a ridiculous amount of money and they actually were renting houses and buying houses and all they did is they stored their their physical money in the house because no bank would store their money because it was federally illegal and some of the porn companies i've known in the past have done very similar things not because they're doing anything illegit but because the banks wouldn't let them store the money which of course then has its own problems because you get people who find out where these houses are break into them and start trying to steal the money yeah and then you get into all kinds of other issues so it's honestly it pisses me off because this shit should not be illegal and i i have theories on why it's illegal and then we just get into dirty so you're basically if if you're going into porn whether it being video games or otherwise you're also going into real estate uh kind of yes (laughs) there's good sneaky ways around it like um you could always do i mean and again I use the word sneaky because you could do like holding companies. Yep. The holding company is one doing the porn and your main company isn't. And, but then it's, you know, what does the bank, you have to. Yeah, the bank, bank if the bank finds out about that, yeah, that makes you happy. It can be sneaky. So it's frustrating and it's all set up to screw people in the, the bad way. But because of all that, it also means that none of this pays well. And if you think video games don't pay well, oh, Video game porn pays even less. I know because I have looked for projects there and I was getting offered like a fraction of what I would get offered 
to do like senior engineer stuff in games and senior engineer stuff in games is pretty fucking low. So like it's, a, it's more so a labor of love than, than making games than making normal games. Mm. It really is. And I'm not going to say people can't make money there, but again, we're talking the minority versus majority and it's kind of like yeah. iOS games. The majority won't sell a single copy. The minority will sell hundreds of thousands a day. Yeah, it's like it's like anything today. We've democratized the whole process, whether and we've done that for music as well, and even in some respects with with um, productions like like video productions because of YouTube, like this podcast being in video form. It's um, made it so yeah, you win the lottery and you're successful and you do really well. The same is for making games or or, or having a band or whatever. Mm-hmm. So none of that's really changed although the process is a lot more democratized you far fewer control uh the industry like it used to but there's still the money filters up to a select few yeah absolutely which it's which sucks but not all mm-hmm. not everyone can become a millionaire although we not want everyone, to no. <laughs> definitely working on it <laughs> so on that note then I know you're working on it. You got a lot of great stuff in the pipeline. So on, on that note, tell me a little bit about Runic, if that is the current name of the title. That is the name. Yeah. And I, I know it was originally called Gloam, but we changed it to Runic and we discovered that somebody already claimed Gloam up on the Steam Steam store. <laughs> so we couldn't use Gloam. But yeah, so Runic. Runic is a premium match three story driven adventure game. Um, So you play as the unnamed mortal and the, this this basically this event going on in the world where one day the sun rose and just never went down again. In fact, the, the full name of the game is runic eternal sunrise because it's been a sunrise has not gone down and it's been about a month month and a half now at the point the game starts and as the unnamed villager you're sent to the ancient ruins where it's said we used to communicate with the celestials and basically they're desperate for anything to work at this point and nobody's communicating with the celestials apparently if they even exist in you know hundreds of thousands of years so you go to these ruins and you attempt to communicate and it works, they do exist. Um, And this one, a very young celestial named Are comes down and she's kind of saying that, oh crap, this is like my first gig ever working with somebody and oh crap, this is way bigger than I have ever thought I could work with. I'm more here for like, you know, you lost your sheep, cool, I can help you find your sheep. Oh, the entire world is in danger, I'm fucked. But she's the one who ends up helping you. And you go through the game uh, with the match three mechanics, very similar in a lot of ways to Candy Crush, but without any of that, there's no ads, there's none of that that bullshit, you know, purchasing stuff. You buy the game once, you have it. And you you go through, yes. And there's an ongoing story as you continue on. Um, We have a whole item system and each item can be upgraded, which makes them a little more powerful. there's five worlds in the game. Each world ends with a boss battle, including a final boss battle that has some music, everything. So how does a boss battle work in a match three game? So the boss battles for our game specifically are very interesting because basically what you come down with is that each boss is based on a particular element. And we work more with, with um, 
not so much the American concepts of elements, but I believe they're more like the, the I want to say the Chinese style, where it's, um, and now I'm on the spot, I'm not going to remember, but it's like metal, fire, water, sun and moon, something like that. Um, don't quote me on that. I mean, I've only worked on the game for a while, but I can't remember this. So um, each of the bosses uh, is what is an element called an elemental beast. And as you go through the game, there's these crystals and inside these crystals, there's trapped a pixie and there's a pixie to each of each of the elements. So each of the, the you know, four main elements, fire, water, um, forest, and something else, fire, water, force, and stone. So the elemental beasts are formed, as you'll learn through various story reasons in the game, are formed out of a particular set of pixies. They kind of come together to form this. And to fight them, you have to use the opposite element against them uh, by matching it on the board. But in turn, if you match uh, their, their element, you'll actually heal them. So in the case of the metal, the metal beast, you have to match forest pieces against them, which will do damage to them. Uh, but if you match metal, it will heal them. But at the same time, you know, they will retaliate. So if you do attack the metal forest beast with forest pieces, um, that character specifically, each one has a different kind of attack. That one specifically so, will drop swords out of the sky and blocking spaces for a period of time. Um, well, that's really awesome. Um, so uh, uh, as Red mentioned, I actually, he has sent me a build and I have played the game and it is, it is really great. Um, it is a match three game. Um, so those are, those in my books are awesome. I, I used to play a lot more of them, mostly on mobile um, and kind of like games, like not, not quite mastery, but like puzzles and dragons. Uh, or Puzzle and Dragons, I think it was that old. Do you have you played that? That mobile game? Maybe. It, it was like, God, how long ago was I? I want to say it was almost, Christ, it was like eight years ago now when I last played that now. So I'm sure it's still a thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a bunch of other games like it um, that follow the same sort of um, context. So that, those games are more like RPGs where you're doing a match three to like cast a spell against an enemy on the screen. They're kind of dungeon crawly. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to this one. And you said you're releasing on switch. So we, I mean, the game has been built to run on everything. And I mean, I've already made switch builds and everything. We haven't settled with the publisher yet, but the, so we're actually first releasing on the Leia red hologram phone. Um, cause this was sort of a partnership project with them. Okay. Um, so we're going to release on there and then we're going to come back and we're going to do a bunch of updates. We're going to add in some hidden content and bonuses for those who like hundred percent parts of the game. Um, and then we're, we're looking to release pretty much on switch, you know, Xbox one, PS4, et cetera. You know, um, part of the thing that I do with games, I just make sure they work on all platforms from day one. So we're already a multi-platform title. It's been tested. Plus it's a multilingual title. Everything's already localizable in the game. So we're aiming to do worldwide release on all platforms, um, which I know everybody says, you can't do this one person team. And I go fucking watch me. Yeah. I was just about <laughs> to say, how big is your team? My team is me. And anybody who thinks I can't do it, like I said, fucking watch well, me. Well, when you say, because I thought you had some help with music and stuff or, or am I wrong? Well, in terms of engineering, it's me. Yeah. Okay. So it's myself. Uh, I'm also working with a gentleman by the name of Devin Motola, he did the soundtrack for the game. That and name sounds awfully familiar. But he's anyway, go worked on. with me on other stuff in the past, and he's doing some music for Potato Tail also. And then uh, we also have um, 
uh, Rocknock or Mario Santos, who did the character art and a good bit of the scenery art as well for Runic. Thanks for joining us in part one of our interview with Red Vonix. If you enjoyed this content, please consider liking this episode and subscribing to our channel. Now stick around for the stage one music of Red's upcoming game, Runic. Thank you.